Today we are in Hebrews chapter 9, and I've got to be honest with you, this is like the perfect passage for Palm Sunday. And I sure wish I had thought of it that way because I would feel really good about myself. But I didn't. It just happened. So if you've not been with us, in the book of Hebrews, the author is writing to people who came to faith in Christ out of Judaism. So they were under the law, probably primarily Jews, uh, maybe a few uh, Gentiles who, who had kind of become Jewish in their, in their religion. But they come to faith in Christ and they're walking with Jesus. And unfortunately, we believe this is the time, probably the mid-60s AD, Nero is in charge. A lot of persecution on the behalf of on Christians by the Romans. But another thing was going on that was adding pressure to these young Christians, and that is that those who were still in Judaism were we're also persecuting. They're being shunned. They're like they've lost, left the traditions of their, of their heritage. And so a lot of difficulty that they were facing. So for some, there's a, a drift that was going on. For others, actually kind of walking away and walking back under Judaism. For others, it was more the temptation to sin, right? We looked in Hebrews chapter 6, falling away. And so the author is writing to encourage them, don't drift, don't walk away, don't fall away, keep leaning into this. And his heart of his argument is, why would you go back to Judaism? Why would you go back under the law? Because everything we have in Jesus is so far better. Jesus is so far superior. So he starts right out in Hebrews chapter 1. I mean, Jesus is a much greater revelation of God than what we got through the Old Testament prophecies because Jesus is the exact radiance of his glory, the exact representation of his nature. By the way, he's the son. That's Hebrews 1. Hebrews 2, Jesus is far better than the angels. The angels are one that brought the law. But Jesus is, is far greater than them. Chapter 3, Jesus is far greater than Moses. And Moses was the man in Judaism. And it, but Jesus is far greater than Moses. Chapter 4, in Jesus, we have a far greater inheritance than the children of Israel. Children of Israel, it was just simply the, the promised land. But we have a Sabbath rest that remained for the people of God. And then as we started this part of the series, the new horizons, Jesus in chapter 7 is a is a far better high priest because he's not a priest after the order of the Levitical priesthood, but the Melchizedek priesthood, which lasts forever. Chapter 8, and as a high priest, he's a high priest of a far greater covenant, not the old Mosaic covenant that is a conditional covenant. He is the high priest of the new covenant, where God says, I'm going to write my law on your hearts and your sins, your iniquity. You're going to remember no more. Chapter 9, we looked at it last week. He's now a better high priest of a better covenant, but he serves in a much greater tabernacle. Not the tabernacle here on earth, right, that is made of 
you know, earthly stuff that moths eat, rust gets to. Oh, by the way, even in the temple now, the Ark of the Covenant is not there any longer, right? It's been stolen. Jesus ministers in a tabernacle in heaven, in the very presence of God. And now today, not only a better high priest of a better covenant and a better tabernacle, but a better sacrifice. And that's the heart of this passage. In fact, really, the title should have been, I just thought, uh, maybe just a little gory. But really, the title of the sermon should have been Better Blood. Better Blood. So let's start reading. I'm going to read verse 11 down through the end of the chapter. So if you'll follow along, that would be great. And I know it's a bit of a long passage, but, but so good, so good. But when Christ appeared as a high priest of the good things to come, he entered through the greater, more perfect tabernacle, not made with hands, that is to say, not of this creation, and not through the blood of goats and calves, but through his own blood. He entered the holy place once for all, having obtained eternal redemption. For if the blood of goats and bulls and the ashes of a heifer sprinkling those who have been defiled sanctify for the cleansing of the flesh, how much more will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without blemish to God, cleanse your conscience from dead works to serve the living God? For this reason, he is the mediator of a new covenant. So that since a death has taken place for the redemption of the transgressions that were committed under the first covenant, those who have been called may receive the promise of internal inheritance. For where a covenant is, there must be of necessity be the death of the one who made it. For a covenant is valid only when men are dead, for it is never enforced while the one who made it lives. Therefore, even the first covenant was not inaugurated without blood. For when every commandment had been spoken by Moses to all the people according to the law, he took the blood of the calves and the goats with water and scarlet wool and hyssop and sprinkled both the book itself and all the people saying, this is the blood of the covenant which God commanded you. And in the same way, he sprinkled both the tabernacle and all the vessels of the ministry with the blood. And according to the law, one may almost say all things are cleansed with blood, and without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness. Therefore, it was necessary for the copies of the things in heavens to be cleansed with these, but the heavenly things themselves with better sacrifices than these. For Christ did not enter a holy place made with hands, a mere copy of the true one, but into heaven itself, now to appear in the presence of God for us. Nor was it that he would offer himself often as the high priest enters the holy place year by year with blood that is not his own. Otherwise, he would have had needed to suffer often since the foundation of the world. But now, once, at the consummation of the ages, he has been manifested to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. And as much as it is appointed for men to die once, and after this comes judgment. 
So Christ also, having offered once to bear the sins of many, will appear a second time for salvation without reference to sin, so that those who eagerly are to those who eagerly wait him. Five things about the better sacrifice. Five things about the better blood. The first is back in verses 11 and 12, and that is that Jesus' sacrifice provides eternal redemption. So when Christ appeared as a high priest of good things to, to come, he entered through the greater and more perfect tabernacle, not made with hands, as say, not as creation, and not through the blood of goats and calves, but through his own blood, he entered the holy place once for all, having obtained eternal redemption. What he's looking at here is the value of the blood. You've got the blood of bulls and goats, you got the blood of Messiah, the Son of God, the exact representation of his nature. Which one do you think has greater value? It's, it's the blood of Jesus. That's his, his point. And as we've mentioned, when he talks about the blood of bulls and calves, or, or of calves and goats and goats and calves and bulls and all that kind of stuff, he... he I don't think he's thinking about the daily sacrifices that go day after day. I think what he has in mind is the day of atonement. Because on the day of the atonement, you remember that the high priest would pull back the veil. So now there is the Ark of the Covenant, the Holy of Holies, and he would go in twice. The first time he would go in, they would make a sacrifice out at the altar of a bull. And then they would take that blood and the high priest would go in and on that altar of incense, put the blood on the four corners. He would burn incense. Then he would walk up to the Ark of the Covenant and sprinkle the blood. This blood was to cover his sin and the sin of his family. It was very personal. He would then leave the Holy of Holies, go out, and now they would offer a goat. And if you remember, there were actually two goats that were part of the Day of Atonement. The one was called the scapegoat. And they would lay the sin, the guilt of Israel on that, and they would then lead that out into the wilderness. The other goat they would take and they would, they would sacrifice and he would catch that blood and he would now enter again into the Holy of Holies. To the altar of incense on the four corners, burning incense, and now up to the, to the mercy seat, the Ark of the Covenant, sprinkle the blood. This now was the atonement for the sins of the people. And what he's arguing here is that the blood of the Messiah was able to accomplish so much more. Hey, number one, he didn't have to offer it for his own sins because he was perfect. What he was able to do when he now, not in the tabernacle or the temple here on earth, but actually in heaven, and he presents his blood, he's able to provide eternal justification. Once and for all, that we have been washed clean, that we have been made right, that it doesn't have to happen every year. It is done forever, this eternal justification, this eternal redemption. Redemption means to buy, to purchase. You see, there was a debt that we all owed, and it was a debt to God because of our sin. It's a debt we could not pay. 
You see, God's just. He can't just ignore sin. He can't just wink at it. His, his justice demands that it's atoned for. The blood of bulls and goats couldn't do that. In fact, what's interesting, it, it, and we'll see in just a minute, is, is, is it, it really didn't pay for sin. It just covered sin. Jesus' blood paid for our sin. Our, our debt was paid. It is finished. Jesus sacrifices so much greater. And, you know, sometimes as we've been studying this book of Hebrews, and we say, you know, some people look at this book and they've seen some things like, you know, if they fall away, it's impossible to renew them. This idea you can lose salvation. And I've been arguing against that because at the heart of this, it's the blood of Christ that redeems us. And it is an eternal redemption. It is an eternal redemption. If you can lose it, it wasn't eternal. But the blood of Christ is so powerful because it was, you know, remember when it was offered, it, all of our sins was in the future. And it covered every single one of them. The sacrifice of Jesus is far greater. Second reason, he says, is that it provides power, internal cleansing. He says, for the blood of goats and bulls and ashes of heifers sprinkling those who have been defiled sanctify for the cleansing of the flesh how much more will the blood of Christ who through the eternal spirit offered himself without blemish to God cleanse your conscience from dead works to serve the living God this is a rabbinical logical argument the rabbis would often argue when making their point if this lesser thing does this, how much more will the greater things do, right? So if the blood of bulls and goats can actually ceremonially cleanse our flesh, how much more would the blood of Messiah do? That, that's his argument here. And one of the things that we've known, we've already looked at, one of the shortcomings of the old covenant, one of the shortcomings of the old uh, Levitical system was that even though it put all of these demands, there was no power, right? It was all on the outside. It was all external. It didn't deal with the inside of man. You look back in verses 9 and 10. We looked at this last week, which is a symbol for the present time. Accordingly, both gifts and sacrifices are offered, which cannot make the worshiper perfect in conscience, since they relate only to food and drink and various washings, regulation. It's all on the outside. The old Levitical law, the, the old sacrifices couldn't touch on the inside. But his point here is, is that Jesus' blood touches the inside. It cleanses us completely. He writes his law upon our heart. Our sins and our iniquities are remembered no more. So under the old covenant, what happened? Well, every year, atonement was made. Was their sin forgiven? The answer is no. It wasn't forgiven. It was covered. In fact, do you know what the, uh, the Jewish name for the Day of Atonement is? Yom Kippur. Kippur means covered. It wasn't forgiven wasn't taken away. 
it was covered. The blood of Jesus doesn't just cover our sins. It takes it away. Their sins, their iniquities, I will remember no more as far as east is from the west. In fact, in, in Romans chapter 3, it said, when God display, whom God displayed publicly as a propitiation. Remember, propitiation has to mean that God's justice is satisfied. So Jesus, whom God displayed publicly as a propitiation in his blood through faith, this was to de demonstrate his righteousness because in the forbearance of God, he passed over sins previously committed. So in the old in the Old Testament, even though atonement was made, their sins were not forgiven. Their sins were merely covered. That's why when you read Scripture, Old Testament saints, who, by the way, were saved not by works, not by keeping the law, but faith in the Messiah that's coming, right? We're saved by a Messiah who came. We know his name to be Jesus, putting our faith. They looked ahead in faith. They were saved. But when they died, they didn't go to heaven. Know where they went? Paradise. Abraham's bosom. Why? Their sins had been covered. Their sins had not been paid for. Jesus comes and his sacrifice and their sins are paid for. Gone. Their sin, their iniquity, I will remember no more. Never to be remembered again. So now there's no guilt our conscience is clean. Do you remember the song we sang last week in Christ alone, that one verse? No guilt in life. No fear in death. This is the power of Christ in me. That's because Jesus' sacrifice is so far greater. Folk, one of the beautiful aspects of the blood of Christ is that our sins are forgiven. Never to be remembered again. Never to be held against us. They have been paid for. Jesus said, it is finished. To tell us die. The debt is paid. The blood of Christ is far greater. His sacrifice is also greater because it brings inheritance. So in verse 15, changes a little bit here. For this reason... He's the mediator of a new covenant so that since a death has taken place for the redemption of the transgressions that were committed under the first covenant, those who have been called may receive the promise of the eternal inheritance. For where a covenant is, there must of necessity be the death of the one who made it. For a covenant is valid only when men are dead, for it is never in force while the one who made it lives. Now, one of the things that's really clear here is that even though he uses the word covenant, there's a switch here. Did you, did you read it? He, he's really kind of talking about a will here. Because what he says is that it's not in force until somebody dies. And we, we know that's how a will. I, I've got a will. My kids are just with bated breath waiting to get my 2008 Sebring convertible with 160,000 miles on it, right? They just can't wait. Especially this week because the air conditioning went out. Why doesn't that ever happen in winter? I don't know. But anyway, that's a whole other discussion. But the point is, 
You put those stuff in a will. While you're alive, your will carries no weight. It's not until you're dead. But he uses the word covenant. Is that the way covenants work? No, a covenant is like a contract. That's when you're alive. So what happened here? Well, it's interesting. In Greek, the word that is translated covenant is the very same word they use for a will. So the word is the same. But obviously, he's talking about something different because you think of the Mosaic covenant. Moses didn't die. God didn't die. They made a covenant. The Abrahamic covenant. Abraham didn't die. God didn't die. Some animals died, but not, not Abraham. Ah. But guess what? The new covenant is not just a covenant. The new covenant was a will. And Jesus is the one who died. So now we become joint heirs, Right? We, we are the heirs of Christ. And, and what comes with that? We become the beneficiaries of what he promised. Well, what did he promise? That we would be with him. Isn't that it? John 14, I'm going away. But in my father's house are many dwelling places. And if I go away, I'll come back and take you to myself. I love the way John 14 ends. After a little while, the world is going to see me no longer, but you will see me. And because I live, you will live also. We have the promise of a better day. We have the promise to be absent from this body is to be present with Christ. We have the promise that when we take this last breath, that man, our next breath is the celestial air of heaven. Jesus' sacrifice provides for an incredible inheritance. And through his death, burial, and resurrection, we become heirs of all things that belong to him. The blood of Jesus is a far greater sacrifice. The fourth thing he tells us is that Jesus' sacrifice provides cleansing to all of creation. So, for sake of time, I'm not going to read 20, 19 through 21, but he's just talking about when that first covenant, when the old covenant was given to them, it was, it was inaugurated with blood. So if, if you go to the story, it's in Exodus, and, and Moses goes up the, up the mountain, gets the Ten Commandments. He comes down. All the people are there. And he, he reads to them the Ten Commandments. And then they say, we are going to follow the Lord. And, and in Exodus 24, and you can look it up and read the whole thing. But let me give you just a couple scripture from there. It says, he sent young men to, of the sons of Israel. They offered burnt offerings and sacrificed young bulls as peace offerings to the Lord. Moses took half the blood put it in basins, the other half of the blood he sprinkled on the altar. Then he took the book of the covenant, Ten Commandments, all that God had given him, and read it. So Moses then took the blood and sprinkled it on people. He took hyssop branches. And he's establishing the covenant. There, there's a cleansing here that takes place. If we had time, but I knew we would be pressed... You go on to Leviticus, so now 
He's got the pattern to make the tabernacle. We talked about that last week. They get everything made. They get it set up. Guess what happens? Moses now takes blood of a sacrifice, and he sprinkles it over the different parts. And he takes the anointing oil, and he, he, he sprinkles that on parts of the tabernacle. And, and also, you remember the blood that was brought upon for Aaron and, and his sons as they were anointed into office. And the point is that there was a cleansing. There was a... There was a preparation so that this, they would be ceremonially clean. Well, look what he says now in verse 22. And according to the law, one may almost say all things are cleansed with blood. And that's a kind of a weird statement, right? Why doesn't he just say all things? Well, there are a couple things in the law, like uh, bronze pans were actually purified not by blood, but by fire. There are a couple other things that are actually cleansed by water. But almost everything, what was needed was a sacrifice. That's his point. So without shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness. Therefore, it was necessary for the copies of the things in heaven to be cleansed or with these things. But the heavenly things themselves with better sacrifices... Than these, for Christ did not enter a holy place made of hands, a mere copy, but into heaven itself. So his point is, is that when you look at what happened, and, and remember the tabernacle is a copy of what's in heaven, but before it could be used, it had to be cleansed. And had to be cleansed with the blood of bulls and goats. Well, he's saying that in the same way, the heavenly tabernacle had to be cleansed. But the blood of bulls and goats wasn't going to do it. It needed Jesus' blood. Now that raises the question, well, wait a minute. Why would the tabernacle in heaven need to be cleansed? Wouldn't it be perfect? I mean, we kind of get why the tabernacle here, and, and, and to be honest with you, if you start going through some commentaries, a lot of debate about what this means, that it needed to be cleansed. Some have the idea that it just needed to be inaugurated, which is what we see in Exodus 24, Leviticus 8 with, the, with that. But he uses the word cleansing here. So they, of necessity, had to be cleansed, and the heavenly things themselves had to be cleansed. But it took a better sacrifice. So why did the heavenly peace have to be cleansed? So where did sin originate? Did not sin originate with Lucifer? Who heart was raised up in pride? In Ezekiel 28, there's a prophecy against the uh, king of Tyre. Most everybody who reads it understands, yeah, it's talking to the king of Tyre, but it's also telling the story of what happened with Satan. Because it calls him the anointed cherub who covers. He, he, he talks about that he was on the, the mountain of God. 
And in Ezekiel 28, there's an interesting verse. He says, by, by the multitude of your iniquities in the unrighteousness of, of your trade, you profaned your sanctuaries. Job actually kind of gets the same idea. He says, behold, speaking of God, puts no trust in his holy ones, which usually references angels. And the heavens are not pure in his sight. But what's fascinating is Paul in Colossians 1 even speaks to this. He says, and through him, Jesus, to reconcile all things to himself, how? Having made peace through the blood of the cross, through him, I say, whether things on earth or things in heaven. What the author of Hebrews is trying to say was that there had to be better blood better blood. And so Jesus, after dying and paying the penalty for our sin, now he offers his blood not only for our redemption and our cleansing, but for the cleansing of this world and ultimately the cleansing in heaven. In fact, I kind of think that when you, you then look ahead, right, when, when everything plays out, so we, you know, we have the great tribulation and we have Jesus return and then we have the thousand years where he reigns and then Satan gets loose again and then you've got the, the great white throne judgment and now we step into eternity. What do we read? And I saw a new heaven and a new earth. Not just a new earth, right? Our, our, our earth got all kinds of scars of sin. It's not the only thing that is getting destroyed and remade, but it's the heavens. Jesus' blood cleansed it all forever. Only the blood of Christ. The last thing is in verse 27 and 28. His sacrifice is so much better because of our potential reward. He says, and as much as it is appointed for men to die once, and after this comes judgment, so Christ also, having been offered once to bear the sins of many, will appear a second time for salvation without reference to sin to those who eagerly await him. Folks, can I just remind you today, you know, sometimes people come to church and, and, and they're searching. Sometimes people watch online because they're searching. Can I just tell you the heart of everything that we're talking about that apart from Jesus and apart from his sacrifice, there is no hope. There's no hope. That, that's at the heart of what, what the author is saying. It is appointed to a man once to die and then to judgment. You know, we don't like that. That's why men de develop this idea of purgatory, right? So there's a second chance. Can I just tell you, purgatory is not in the Bible. The Bible says it is appointed a man once to die and then the judgment. That's why there's no reincarnation, so you can come back and get it right. It is appointed a man once to die and then the judgment. That's why there's no second chances. This is why the Bible says today is the day of salvation. It is appointed a man once to die. And then the judgment. That's why Jesus came. 
Because we're all facing judgment for our sin, and there's not a one of us that can stand and be proclaimed free or be proclaimed righteous. We were all facing eternity apart from God because of our sin. And so Jesus came. Even those in the Old Testament, their sins were covered, but they weren't forgiven. They were still separated from God. And so Jesus came as the Son of God, died in our place to pay our penalty. That's why he came. Do you remember how Isaiah puts it? Isaiah 53 looks ahead and says, but he was pierced through for our transgressions. He's crushed for our iniquity. The chastening for our well-being fell upon him, and with his scourging, we're healed. All we, like sheep, we've gone astray. We've all turned to our own way, but the Lord has laid on him the sin of us all. Can I just share with you today? It is appointed that a man wants to die and then to judgment. And if you've, if you've not come to the point of putting your faith and your trust in Jesus Christ, of inviting him to be your savior, there's no hope. And folk, you have to understand the reality of this life. There is none of us that are promised tomorrow. Not a one of us. I woke up, was it yesterday, to the headlines. I, I like football. I kind of follow football. Uh, like Ohio State. So it caught my eye. Dwayne Haskins. Quarterback had been in Ohio State, just got picked up by the Pittsburgh Steelers, 24 years old. Got hit. He's dead. Gone. Folks, none of us are promised tomorrow. Today is the day of salvation. The blood of Jesus that will not only cover, but literally wipe away, remove, pay for every sin is there. And it's available to you so that there is hope. Because Jesus is coming back. Did you get that? Who will appear a second time? Right? This is our hope that the blood of Christ. What hope did the Old Testament bring? Well, a covenant. What hope did the Mosaic covenant? It didn't bring any hope. Jesus brings hope. He's coming back. And the second time when he returns, notice what it says, without reference to sin, what did he mean there? Well, Jesus dealt with sin in the first one. That's justification. The salvation he's talking about here is not talking about justification. The salvation that he brings when he comes is that reward, that inheritance, that thing that he keeps coming back to over and over in the book of Hebrews. That's why we don't drift. That's why we persevere in persecution. That's why we don't fall away. We keep living as though this world is not our home because we we know one of these days Jesus is going to come back. And on that day, there is reward and there is inheritance. And to hear, well done, good and faithful servant, enter into the joy of your master. That's why we press on. And how do we get it? The blood of Jesus is such a better sacrifice. 
It does what the Old Testament sacrifices could not do. It does what you and I cannot do. And it points us ahead to a day when we stand before Jesus. Ah, if you don't know Jesus today, why don't you just invite him into your life?